Welcome to the Elite Gangsters Podcast, <laughs> where we discuss real estate, business, financial advice, positive mindset training, and so much more. I hope everybody out there is having a great week. I am Mr. Producer, Graydon Square, with your the host, the man, the myth, the legend, Justin Fromstein. What's up, brother? What's up, my man? How are How you? you doing? I'm doing great. It's good to see you after a week. It's It's been a, actually almost two weeks, almost. Yeah, that's true. Last yeah. time I saw you, I was sick from a cigar. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's a whole other story. <laughs> Today's guest that we have today is real estate mogul, Zachary Keeps. Zach is the founder of Zach Ventures. He's a flipper. He's into rentals, new builds, and he's a business educator. Zach, how you doing, brother? Doing amazing, brother. Glad to have you on the show. Likewise. So for those who are listening who are like, elite gangsters, what is that? So just before the show, Justin and Zach came up with a new name for the podcast. I'm okay with it. I'm from a, a, a gangster area in L.A., so I'm okay with that. If you guys are okay with that, attracting that energy, I'm okay with that. So, Hey, this is the Justin show. I'm from Detroit, so I like the whole gangster <laughs> Y'all got energy. some gangsters out got there, gangsters too. gangsters out there, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So the first thing I want to get into is obviously how you been. How's your, how's your week going? I was good. I was in New Mexico. I was seeing Santa Fe. I actually met a film producer that does the cleanings with movies, and he thought my daughter was real pretty and wants to put her in a movie called Movies, so that was kind of cool. I uh, went to Ghost Ranch, saw like where, I guess, George O'Keefe lived and how she had this huge ranch and how they used to go to Grand Canyon, heard all these trails and stuff. Uh, went to Santa Fe, saw an iconic church like from the, like the 1500s that all the Spanish came in and built it. And then they talked about the natives coming in and blowing them up and shooting them and stuff. So I got a lot of history, read a lot of stuff, um, had some good food, got, you know, just had a great time. Got away for, I think, that six days. Went to the balloon fiesta, too. We saw the balloons going up. Okay. Uh, went with, uh, actually, Sheree, Tommy, and some friends, and Zach knows them. And, uh, yeah, we got back, and uh, it was, like, Thursday of last week, and just crazy amount of stuff I had to do the last couple of days. And now I'm leaving in Mississippi next week for a week because we're doing deals in the South. Damn. Yeah. Zach, what about you? How's your week? Crazy busy, been in that uh, full throttle mode as well. Like Justin, tomorrow I'm going to shut it down at the middle of the day, head over to Vegas, recharge the battery for a couple of days with top wholesaler in town and, uh, you know, rewind a little bit, but full throttle right now in this market, you know? Awesome. Well, I definitely want to get into some market talk. Obviously, you guys are both real uh, real estate moguls in the Phoenix area, and I know you you do deals all across Maricopa. Justin does too, right? Like you, you essentially work all over the county. All over, up north, you know, I'm in just strict Arizona myself. I respect people doing the national stuff, but I'm a see it, feel, touch it, just a tangible um, kind of guy. So very conservative. So I don't buy out of state. Okay. What's the furthest that you, property you have in, in the county? So. Uh, Prescott. Okay. Yeah. Flagstaff, stuff like that. Maricopa, Casa Grande. Okay. Good stuff. What, what made you get into real estate? A lot of times when I talk to Justin and we have guests, we go through kind of like their origins of how they got sure. introduced to the market. Justin's been doing this for what? 17 years? Something like that? No, no, no. I've been an 15? agent less than that. I've been an agent since 2005, but I didn't actually start flipping until 08. Okay. And, so, and what about you, Zach? How long have you been in? Came in the market 2002 from Detroit and then uh, just started buying homes. I also got licensed immediately in nine days. Um, and then from there, just started doing both leveraging the agent side, uh, you know, for ancillary income and then working on distressed assets to turn them, stabilize them, flip them and go from there. But how I got into real estate was we're entrepreneurs, just like Justin as well, always looking at different business opportunities. And if you read the Forbes, you know, wealthiest people and uh, in, in um, the nation, all these billionaires, what's the commonality amongst all these people? Some capacity, they're all involved in real estate. Right. You know, very simple. 
Yeah, it's interesting because we get into the why of real estate, how it differs from different markets. You guys, before show, we're talking about crypto and the volatility of the crypto market. I have some experience with that volatility myself. I got into crypto back in the day and made money, lost money, made money, lost money. Um, why the real estate market? Sure. So when you talk about, we had this discussion before we could talk about it, but I'm not a crypto guy just because I feel, well, I don't understand it a thousand percent. I think it's a more complex deal than real estate. I think real estate is a lot more simple. I like the tangibility of the assets. I like having more control. Mm -hmm. it, to me, I think it's more of a crapshoot if you're investing. And I know a lot of people, and I, God bless you, making, you know, you just made a quarter million dollars in a day or a week or whatever it is. And that's amazing. Obviously, if you're a trader and you're following that, it's amazing. I've worked on Wall Street before, and I realize it's the institutions that move the market, not us as individuals. But in the real estate, we can, you know, we're truly the captain of our domain and what we want to do. I can control, I can lease it, I can lease purchase, I can sell or finance, I can sell it. I, you can do so many different things with it, and I, I like having that complete control. I'm a control freak. So when I'm investing in an equity fund or a stock, I really have very minimal, I can control when I buy it, I can control when I sell, but I can't control the movement, right? It's the companies, the insiders, the institutions moving those markets. Same thing with crypto. I feel like, hey, I'm just rolling the dice. I don't like to roll dice, you know, at this stage in the game or ever. I'm, I'm much more conservative. So in that respect, I love um, the ability to move real property, the tangibility. Great answer, Justin. What's up? Your, your response to his, his idea as far as the volatility and not being able to control the market, so being a little bit more conservative, because I, I know that, that for for investors, you want guaranteed return. Like no one wants to gamble with their money, like you said. No one wants to roll dice. So as far as the volatility that you might have ex experienced in crypto, how's that different from the the volatility you experience in real estate? Well, I, I think anything is diversification, right? So like for me, I'm not going to put all my eggs in you know the crypto basket, right? So if you're somebody that has 50 grand and that's all they got, you know, obviously it's a bad investment, right? But with me, you know, when I'm making several million dollars a year and I put a hundred grand away in crypto and crypto goes up or down, it doesn't affect me as much. Um, I go back to diversification. Same thing with out of state. Like he doesn't, Zach doesn't do out of state deals, which is fine. You know, no hate on that. Gives me more opportunity to make more deals if he's not there. Right. But, um, you know, a long time ago when I started investing, I had an investor that was only one in Maricopa County. And I used to tell him like, hey, there's a lot of deals in Tucson. Hey, there's a lot of deals in Flagstaff. And he's like, I don't want to do it. I only want Maricopa County. And in fact, that limited my income, you know? So I was like, man, if I would have bought in Tucson, this is like 10 years ago, I would have bought houses for $10,000, $20,000 that I could have eventually now sold for two fifty. So my opinion is, yes, I, I think Zach's opinion is like he wants to touch and feel it. But I also suggest like, this is just me, if you got the capital and you're buying them cash and you're able to buy them for 30 grand and you know that probably they'll end up being worth 150, 200 grand in the next five, 10 years, well, what's your risk? It says you be cash and you're renting them out. Obviously, flipping out of state is more work, but if you're just buying them and you're cleaning them and renting them, which is, again, my portfolio out of state, I'm buying them, cleaning them, renting them, I'm making 10 times the cash flow out of state that I would be here. So, I mean, it's just an offer for suggestion. It's like, hey, Zach, look, you know, you don't have to put all your eggs in one basket, but you're, you know, you're a well-off guy. Like, hey, open yourself up, you know, because I used to have that mentality too, like see it, touch it, feel it, the same mentality Zach has. And I realized that's actually a flawed mentality if you want to get even wealthier because it's like there's only so much you could do in Maricopa County with the capital you have. Now, if I had like $300 million and I could just go buy houses for three, 400,000 a piece and rent them out for two grand, $2,500 a month and whatever. But I like the idea that with the limited capital that I do have, you know, I'm playing with about $10 million. If I'm able to make that 10 million worth like 40 million here out of state. And I know that Maricopa eventually is going to have some kind of slowdown. I mean, at one point the market's not going to be where it is today. Um, there'll be some kind of slowdown. There could be a recession. There could not be, we don't know, but rates are, 
prevalent on that. So interest rates are low right now. People are buying like crazy and cheap money. But if rates go to five, six percent, um, my model will be better. My model will make way more money. I'll have way less. I'll be way less affected by interest rates because supply and demand and the cost of money and the houses that I'm buying for 30, 40, 50 grand are probably to build them are 120 to 150. So my attitude is my risk. I'm real less risk averse by buying out of state. I can insure the property. If it burns down, if it floods, I have really good insurance. And, um, you can always have like, you can never have enough insurance. The beautiful thing about real estate is you can insure it up the wazoo. And if it does flood or, or anything, you're good. So that's my take on it. Interesting. I think both takes are, are, are very profound and well thought out. If so I may I, say real fast, yeah. I, I, I love diversification. I just, it, it, if I didn't have enough uh, opportunities locally, then I would go, you know, more to mm-hmm. a national strategy. But I'm blessed. I've created massive relationships. This business is all about, every business is about relationships. So if I wasn't getting the deal floor, I wasn't getting a good yield, I don't just buy to buy in or I'm not complacent at five or six yield. I'm seeing 10s, 12s, even in this market and the capital that I have at risk that's a great return, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of going into a bonds or going into equities, which again, I do diversify. I don't have all my money in real estate. I have equities and other investments and private placement deals for the diversification purposes. But he's right. You're going to get a lot of a higher yield, specifically in the New Mexico's or Ohio's and some of these subsidiary markets. Mm-hmm. However, I don't think you're going to see the same level of appreciation um, that we've seen because the amount, you know, what's attractive to Arizona, all the people from California, right. New York, Vegas, we're still relatively yeah. cheap. So yes, short term, he's probably going to get a higher cash on cash return his cap rates are higher. But if you look at the big picture of maybe for the next three to five years, we may end up making similar amount of money if we were to dispose that asset and look at his cash flow and look at the appreciation in this market due to the demand of Arizona. So you can look at it both ways. I care a lot about what drives this market, look at the macro microeconomics uh, of these investments. And obviously, if we start seeing stagnancy and my yield flow is not there, then of course, I'm going to look for further diversification to increase the cash flow. Wow. I hope you guys are taking notes. These guys are kicking a lot of game to you. I want to go back because I think you guys have a very similar makeup. You're hustlers. And I've always kind of thought in my head, you can't teach someone how to hustle. It's just you kind of have it or you don't. And obviously there's exceptions to that. But when did you know, and I'll start with you, Zach, when did you know you were a hustler? When did you know it's like, I got to get out. I was listening to an episode you did on, what was it? uh, The Your Wealth and Beyond podcast. And you told a story about how you used to roll with your grandfather and he used to have a checkbook yeah. in his pocket yeah. ready to execute. Is that where you got that, where you kind of realized like, yo, I'm a hustler like this dude. He's out here getting it. When did you know? I think, you know, it was when I started talking and walking, I was ready to go, literally. <laughs> you were ready for deals I mean, to emulate. It's amazing. I love the research, by the way, and good memory. Uh, yeah, my grandfather was a very special man and inspired me as well. Had was an entrepreneur like us, was involved in real estate and different businesses. And I was fortunate to spend, you know, a couple of days with him and his career and watch him with his retirement homes and his different developments. And literally, I operate the same way. I'm a belly to belly kind of guy, face to face. I'm not one of these virtual guys or I'm anytime someone has an opportunity or me, just like love to have you on the podcast. You jump at it. You got to get outside your comfort zone. You got to get out there, shake the hands, you know, make these long term relationships and execute. And I literally carry an old school checkbook in my car 24 seven, ready to write earnest money checks. Like you got to be ready to close. Ammunition in the chamber. Yeah. Yeah. When did you know, Justin? <laughs> so for me, it was a little later. It wasn't five, but I did. I did grow up a similar background, Jewish father, and my dad was um, from Canada, Toronto. And my, the way that my my dad's done the age, they're all business owners. My dad's dad was a pharmacist. And my dad became a chiropractor. He bought real estate, but he he loved working with his hands. He loved people, helping people, healing them. And back then, he was 
healing a lot of people from a lot of different things by just really putting their bodies in the right alignment. So I grew up with that mentality of like taking care of people, helping people, because I feel like this is a business of people. And in real estate, if you take care of people, they'll take care of you. Like Zach said, it's relationship based. And the same thing he has, if he has, you have relationships, Zach, that like people trust you, you say, I'm going to buy it, you're going to buy it. I have the same reputation. So for me, it's like when I was, we just did a deal recently where I had a partner fall through and I just said, hey, I'm going to get it done, you know, and I got it done. Mm -hmm. So for me, my word is more important than actually the money because the money comes. Um, But as far as being a kid, my dad, when I was about 14, 15, I grew up in San Diego. My dad, so I don't know if you guys know Temecula, Marietta area, Mm -hmm. so Riverside County, uh, my dad was like, hey, there's a bunch of houses for 200 grand. I was like 15, 16 years old. My dad takes me these houses and he picks them up for 200 grand a piece, these brand new houses. And my dad goes, I'm just going to rent them out. I'm going to buy. At that time, you could do state income, and he could buy as many as he wanted with the down payment. So my dad bought a bunch of houses. Well, this is what's crazy. He met the right realtor. The realtor got him connected with the right loan officer. My dad ended up buying seven houses in a matter of, I think, of a year and a half period. And the houses all tripled. I mean, he bought them for two. Within 10 years, they were worth six, five and six. Um, the market did adjust. Um, luckily, my dad had really cheap interest rates, you know, four or 5% at the time, which was a really cheap interest rate. How old were you at this time? I just wanted to clarify. Um, I was 15 when he was buying them. Okay. Um, and then by the time I was 25, I came out of college. I went to San Diego State. When I got out of San Diego State, I came out to Arizona. When I came to Arizona, I got my license too within, I think, like a month. Um, and then I went into real estate. I was an agent. And it was like 2005, 2006, 2007. It was like crazy. And then I saw, you know, some stuff happening with rates and I was hearing about stuff. I didn't know as much as I know now, but I knew, I knew something was going to happen. So I sold all my inventory before the market crashed. Mm. I had like four houses, <clears throat> but I did see it as a young age. Like I think, like Zach said, it's, and I feel like it's not just Jewish people, but I feel like Jewish people have it in their blood to make deals. Mm. And I feel like it's just innate. Like I was taught by my dad, like do it, you know, like I never had the mentality. I was never raised with fear. Um, and I think that's like a really good inclination to kind of what we're talking about is you, you can't be fearful in real estate. You can't be fearful in business. And one of the things today, I had a lunch meeting before this, I got, I, w- I met with some investors that I work with. They have about a couple million bucks and they're in fear mode. Like they're worried the market's going to crash or it's going to this and that. They're, they're all in fear mode. Like we got to get out. We got to get out. Cause they're hearing, you know, some of the people are saying get out and some people are saying, but dive in. Um, I told him, I said, Hey, if you operate fear, you shouldn't do anything. You know, in, in business, like you should never be, if you're in fear mode, you should never do anything. Like, just don't do it. Go be an employee, you know? I agree. Um, so I told him, like, if you're going to operate in fear mode, I don't want to work with you because it's just going to stress me out. When you're stressing out about deals, I'm going to stress out about deals and it's just going to make me, like, people don't realize the energy around you affects you. Totally. Mm-hmm. Right? So if you're around a bunch of negative people, it affects you. So I feel like being around the positivity when I grew up, my dad's like, I'm going to buy these. And then they went up. Um, my dad's net worth just as a, as a chiropractor was nothing. All of his net worth was real estate. Mm. Straight up. My dad bought stocks. They all went to shit. My dad bought Qualcomm. It went to shit. My dad bought JDSU. Went to shit. So I watched real quick how the stock market goes to shit. Um, yes, some people made wealth in it, but you got to pick the right stuff. Yes, you can become a multimillionaire in stocks. I know several of them. But the thing is, like real estate, like Zach said, I watched it and I watched my dad go, look at how much my house was worth. The house we grew up was worth a million dollars. They bought it for 180000 back in, I think, 92. Mm. By the time I was, you know, I graduated high school 2001. Um, the house when I was a little kid that they bought was like 80 grand. It's now worth like 900,000. Wow. So I watched, I saw it. So it's interesting that you bring that up because there's something interesting that you guys said earlier. Now you said you got your license in six days, nine days, nine days. And you got yours in two weeks, a month. Yeah. Well, I had to schedule my test. Can Um, you do that now today in that speed? 
I don't know if COVID, if they have a, but I, I think mean, they're back. So I did it in person where you could do nine hours per day. I just yeah. came out here, didn't know anybody, just went to the grind. Literally came out on August 5th and rolled August 6th. Literally on the 14th or 15th, boom, done. You can get um, your license pretty fast. I don't know. Nine days might be hard for most people. I mean, Zach's probably really smart to pass the test and study. Uh, high speed. You, yeah. you know, but I, I mean, typically a month or two, you know, I okay. would say. So uh, there was an interesting point you guys both made. You talked about energy around you from the people you worked with. You talked about this business being all about relationships. Mm -hmm. Can you expound on that statement that it's really about the relationships that determine your success in this in this industry? I mean, I guess the real question is, is how small is the community? And if you do happen to get a bad reputation, how uh, detrimental is that? It, it will wipe you out. It's a small community right now through, when I first started, there was no Instagram and face. It's funny, my first deal I acquired through the newspaper and you know, building relationships face to face. I mean, talk about 19 years ago, there was none of this tight knit community and camaraderie and collaboration. Last night I spoke at an event, 300 people, you know, word gets out pretty quickly. Who does what, who doesn't, you perform, you don't. It gets into that cycle, just like in high school, you screw somebody over, you're an asshole jock or whatever it is, it's your reputation. And that uh, can make or break you a thousand percent. I've never defaulted on a deal, Mike, I've done thousands of deals. If I commit to a deal or I, you know, sign the contract, it's a done deal, unless I'm dead, then, uh, you know, my hairs or my dog who will take over the portfolio, who's the hair of the uh, Zach Ventures Your dog's portfolio. the heir. Well, I'm being facetious. <laughs> my nieces and nephews and sisters, you know, stuff For like sure. that. But um, the end of the day, that it's every relationships, the people skills, the energy, the commitment, the execution. When you use the word guarantee before, the only time I use the word guarantee is when I'm doing a deal. There's no guarantee return on anything because there's risk in everything that we do. And you talk about risk and fear, you know, from the investors. I operate with a contingency model. So I always plan on, hey, if, if, the, if we get another strain of COVID tomorrow, if the world blows up, I always say to myself in every deal, which enables me to, to execute without any fears, what's the downside risk? What's the upside potential? And if I can operate with tremendous downside risk, I know I'm good to go. I always play the what if game. If this happens, how do I pivot? If this happens, then what? I'm always six steps ahead to ensure that uh, you know planning for failure versus just for success enables you to succeed. Interesting. Yeah. Your thoughts on his uh, thoughts on relationships, because that was very interesting. I mean, so when I came out in Arizona and I got my license and I was doing it, just like being a realtor, if you tell someone you're going to be at the house at 10 a.m., you're there at 11, you lost the deal, right? So punctuality is a big deal, too. You tell someone you're going to be somewhere, you know, being there on time, that's a big one. Telling somebody you're going to do a deal, you're not going to – like, this is the truth, right? So me and Zach, I just bought a deal from Zach, right? And one of the biggest things for me was – I didn't see the deal. I told someone told me to buy it. I had a partner. I'm not going to name names right now on the podcast, but I had a partner said, Hey, I'll go in with you 50, 50. I said, okay, I'm going to buy this house. Cause I, at this point I have like 26 houses going. So I said, Hey, I don't want to put up all the money myself. And so the guy bailed on me. And then at the last minute he came in and said, I'll do it. Well, I was like, fuck you. No, like I'm not doing it with you. I'm going to go get another partner. So I brought in another partner. He said, I'll fund it. I'm going to run the rehab for him. We're going to split a profits. It's a, it's a win-win. I don't personally like, people that bullshit and so for me um that's one of the reasons like when i talked to zach in fact i told zach i said one of the things i'm gonna do is i'm gonna make it happen you know if i can make it happen i'll make it happen so he told me go drive the house because i didn't even see the house and i put up money without even seeing it because i am a big i am a word a man of my words so i went out there and i told him like hey i'll put another three grand down i saw it i'll get it closed and i got it closed so the, the what he's saying is now I have now Zach might have a juicier deal next time and say hey bro I know you did this deal you didn't make a ton of but hey I got another one for you here you can make even more on this one and vice versa like the reality is your reputation is your money 
Um, the same thing is with, with partners, because I have banks and partners. The same thing with banks. If you borrow money from a bank and you default, they're not going to ever give you a loan again. Sure. So I have a commercial line of credit for $3 million with a bank at local in town. I wouldn't have that relationship if I was crap. I wouldn't have that relationship with people where I can just borrow money and do the deal. And one of the things I love about real estate is, like you said, it's tangible. They have an asset. Um, that is key. And so Zach is 100% right. And Zach has a great, in fact, I didn't even know Zach. It's funny. We've been in the business. We've both been doing real estate for a while. I never even knew him until like a couple months ago. Mm. So you could actually be in a business. Zach does a ton of business. And nobody, even, I don't even know Zach, right? It's up until recently. Right. And so I've worked with a lot of investors, but I kind of was always very like, hey, I've already been made money. I've already made my money. I don't, I wasn't putting myself out there as much. I wasn't out socializing and going to these events and doing all that up until recently. And people told me, hey, you know, there's go to these events, meet people, network. And sometimes, you know, being a family man that I am and being a multimillionaire, it's like sometimes I get caught up in like, hey, I'm, I wanna chill, you know, I wanna get away from the limelight. Sometimes I just don't like be around a bunch of people. Sometimes I like to just chill and, and get away and not everybody know me. Kind of like why actors travel and go in the middle of nowhere to take a vacation because yeah. they don't yeah, wanna get bothered. No one knows them, right. no, exactly. Yeah, so that's my that, take on That's that. interesting, um, and, and you said, that there are guys, and I know you, you've dealt with this as well, people backing out of deals. I do want to cover that a little bit because it seems to be somewhat of a common theme when you're someone's selling their reputation. It usually comes from them backing out or reneging on a deal in some kind of way. Uh, what can you speak to as far as uh, people backing out of deals? Let's say they commit, they offer you, or you, you offer them, you know, hey, I'm a cash buyer. I'm going to come in. I'm going to buy this asset from you. And then they decide, oh, I'm going to keep shopping it. Yeah, so um, you probably listen to some of my other podcasts. Of course, yes, I listen to every podcast. I, I love that. <laughs> Good research. I love it. Um, it, it. It's key. So I used to do a lot. Now I spend zero money on marketing. It's a unique business mm. model. So I have very no overhead at all, legitimately. No office space. I work out of my house. It's, it's unique. So it's all based on my business is predicated on reputation and relationships. And that's why people bring me deals. And also getting uncomfortable. I stayed under the radar for a long time and just grinded and was doing direct to seller. Um, and spending good money, and, yeah, and now I don't mean to interrupt you, but you weren't yeah. doing media. You weren't doing. I had podcasting no, no media, or, no podcasting, and then you know, in order to grow, and you can, you got to get uncomfortable to get comfortable. I was like staying under the radar, but then I realized, hey, you need to have some additional exposure because I'm not a complacent individual. Like just like, hey, I made a couple million dollars, I'm good. I've never had that mentality. I'm like, I'm going to the moon, mm -hmm. and that's where I'm heading. You right. know, so in order to do that, you got to get uncomfortable. You got to expose, you know, who you are. Um, it's going to attract hopefully more good people than bad because other people who are assholes or, hey, they want to, you know, degrade you or think you're a bunch of bullshit and whatever. But at the end of the day, just pull up the tax records. It's okay. Wow. Um, and, and work through it. But um, yeah, there's been a lot of times where wholesalers will say, hey, I, I want this number on this deal. And you go out there, you spend your time, your resources, your comping, your gas, you drive out, you say, hey, I'm good at this number. And they say, oh, I'll let you know. And you say, what do you mean you let me know? Here's the price. I'm here. I've walked it. There's no contingencies. Here's the earnest money check. Well, I'll let you know. I said, you let me know what? I'm giving you a full price offer. So yeah. that's when I talk about reneging. There's a lot of people too where they go out to a property and they tell a seller, I'm going to offer you this. They get under contract and right before close, they do what's called retrading and, and screw them around. I've never done that in my entire life. It's price dropping and think it's you know, a bunch of BS. Do you think that has to do with the misconception of what it takes to actually list a property by yourself, right? Like if you're dealing with a cash offer for someone who wants to buy a distressed property, do, do you think people feel like, well, I can just get retail for this if I just list it myself? Well, no, I think you're talking about two different things. One's a wholesaler, one's a, a seller who's selling okay. direct, like a retail person. So Justin okay. would work with those people. Justin would come into a retail seller and say, hey, I can buy it for cash 
or we can retail. And they say, well, we could go either way, but then you recognize you got the headaches, the time frame, you know, people coming in, inspections, binsers, liability. Us as cash buyers, you're eliminating all that, but you're probably most likely leaving money on the table because we're not non-for-profits. We're here to make money, but it's all about over-disclosing, right? So I've gone in certain situations recently where tenants have referred me to their grandmother's house. They say, hey, she just wants to sell. And I always come in and I'll bring, if I'm doing a direct deal with the seller, it's all about over-disclosure. Say, listen, I don't need to buy your house. I'd like to buy your house. Here's the most comparables. For example, last year was on 19th Avenue. The lady's like, the house is worth it. Two one, 265,000. Probably needs 15K in work. I'm like, I'm probably gonna be around 210, maybe 215. But honestly, I think you should retail because if you're all about the money, you're gonna make more money this way, most likely. We could run into some inspection issues and who knows and roll the dice, but a worst case scenario, I'm here to buy the property, but I wanna do what's best for you. So when you disclose that, you give them the comps, they initial it, there's a you know track record of what transpired, you're good, you always wanna protect yourself. Okay, and Justin, you mentioned you know, a potential investor with you basically backing out, it's the other way around, right? Like you got a person who's potentially going in on the deal with you and then somehow for some reason he gets cold feet or she, whoever. Well, it happened to me today. I just had a wholesaler send me a deal at 120 in Avondale and I went, I drove all the way out there that like right before my lunch, I even told my lunch meeting, hey, give me 30 minutes, I'm gonna be late up front. And so if you wanna meet me, cool. Luckily they, they know me real well. They're like, you'll order you food and you just get here. I ended up getting there like 30 minutes late, but I already told them an hour ahead of time. But I drove all the way to Avenue to look at a house and then uh, not to talk bad about the guy. I'm not even going to bring his name up. But I told him, I was like, I'll give you I'll give you full price. And he's like, oh, well, I got another guy who gave me 130 and I got another guy who gave me 135. And I was like, <clears throat> same thing, that, that mentality of I'm doing a bidding war, you know, and every, all these wholesalers now want to become auctioneers. And I'm like, you know, and, and I wasn't that mad about it because, you know, I bought a couple houses from him and this is kind of what he does. And I just told him, I said, hey, you know, send me the next one. He did give me a house for 10 grand less than what he listed it out in another area. So I'm like, whatever. Sometimes if he says, hey, this is starting at this and he's setting it up as an auction, like I can't be mad at him that he got 15K more than what he listed for because he said it was an auction. Okay. But yeah, sometimes you have a situation like that where someone's saying, hey, opening bid 120, you got to make a bidding more. Hey, that's your choice. But the only thing with that is you don't know if he did or didn't, right? Um, obviously, I'll know when it closes. I'll be able to look at the tax records and see if he's full of crap or not. So most you, likely, you won't know if it's on an assignment, though. So well, no, no, he closed on it. Okay, there you so go. So I looked at the tax records and he right. closed at fifty five thousand. He bought wow. it for fifty five k and he sold it for one thirty five. And I don't disbelieve it. It was worth probably two thirty two forty. The house probably needed sixty. Needed wow. a full, full everything: gut, AC, electrical, plumbing. It had probably thirty, maybe forty k in profit. But I just didn't want to get into a bidding war. I knew it was far away from me. I live in Gilbert. This is in Avondale. Way it was going to be. It was going to be far. And the only reason I say that is yes, I flip out of state, but I don't have my own crews. I use contractors. Mm-hmm. But when I buy locally, I have my own crew mm-hmm. and I have my own dump trailers, my own gas. So I pay all their gas trailers to get it done cheaper. So if I hired a contractor to do the house, probably a hundred grand because it was that bad. But as far as like what Zach's saying is that somebody goes out and says, "Hey, price is three fifteen. You call them up, say three fifteen. They go, "Cool, we'll let you know." Well, that to to what that means is that they're not honoring their price. Now, if they would have said, "Hey, Zach, this is an auction. You know, three fifteen starting bid. Hey, my highest offer is three twenty five. Take it or leave it." And if they say, "Okay, cool," I don't really like business like that. It's not my favorite thing. I don't. Um, do that. Yeah, I refuse. I don't like it. But it's being done now more than it did you know a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. But to, to answer what you're saying is <laughs> the thing is like you do that a few times with somebody and then they're like, fuck them. You know, that's eventually what happens. It's like a few people like, like big players like Zach are going to be like, 
what's the price then? Because it, you might as well just list it at the price you want, right. not dick around, because now you're going to eventually lose buyers who are legit, who are sick of it. And I can tell you from experience that I've wholesale properties. I've never done that to somebody. But if I did do that, I'm sure I would lose buyers. And right. so it's the guys who are really big players in town don't like that shit. Right. It's the little guys who will do it. We that. don't have time to play games. Yeah. It's all about the key component is communication. If you tell me, hey, I'm only sending this to you. I'm giving you the first right of refusal at this number. And you give that and you say, okay, I'm good at that number. And then you refuse to sell it to me for whatever reason because you think all of a sudden I'm interested and it's worth more. Here's my simple answer. Please take me off your list. Never call me again. It's all good. I don't need your deals. I'd love to buy from you. I don't have the time. But the reality is if you want to do a bidding war, then you say, hey, this is Justin Fromm. I'm a baller. You know I'm going to close. I'm a guaranteed closer. You can jeopardize this deal and go into some bidding war. You're going to deal with some third party who's probably inexperienced, who's going to freak out and not close. Or you never got earnest money. Then you're going to circle back to me anyways. Or they're going to try and assign it to me. That's happened a million times. That I don't get the deal. And then all of a sudden, it circ- everything back circles up. back. We'll find the guy with the capital that's truly going to close. And you know they're hoping to you know put up 2000 to make a $3,000 uh, assignment fee and they can't find it and all of a sudden the deal implodes so you say hey the deal's going to come back to me anyways we might as well just sell it to me right now mm. wow uh so it's interesting that you you bring that up because it kind of piggybacks on my next question to you guys which is when you start generating funding so a couple of the things that i heard you constantly mention on some of your other interviews is this idea of opm mm-hmm. right other people's money and if you're starting off, chances are you aren't going to have the capital to just go in on, let's say, a two hundred thousand or three hundred thousand dollar deal. Mm-hmm. You need uh, uh, someone to help you go in on that particular deal. How, how would you speak to raising capital early in your career? Sure. When you first get into the field in the trenches, you want to build a resume. No different when you're applying for a job. Um, you know, we both are licensed. We've done deals before, um, whether it's family money or friends or you know what have you, and you can. It's consultative. So you're going to go out there and you say, hey, I know what I'm doing. I got my license. Here's the comps. This is you're presenting the deal. Um, what are you looking to achieve? You always want to treat everyone like like a restaurant buffet. You walk in, say, you hungry, you thirsty. How can I serve you? How can, how can we create a win-win situation? I'm going to match your capital with the deal. The money always follows the acquisition. So if you have the ability to sniff out and acquire deals and it's a good deal, the money will always follow. You want to use OPM first because it's going to be typically cheaper than hard money. Hard money, you're paying 10 or 12. Um, back in the day, it's much easier to raise 30 or 40 or 50,000 than it is in 200,000 coming out. So remember the timing of when I was using more OPM. Right now, I have very you know limited OPM because I'm much more well capitalized. But you always want to be open to it. But you always want to find out and find people to leverage your experience with the deal and truly just create a win-win opportunity, whether you give them a preferred return or equity or a combination thereof or a waterfall, waterfall structure at the back end. Um, there's a million ways to skin the cat, but it's always about selling the individual where their uh, liquidity is right now, their disposable money that's just sitting there sedentary or it's in a money market fund. It's easy to get that capital if you can parlay and say, hey, listen, your money right now is in a money market fund. You're making 1%. I've got a very conservative deal. I'm going to give you a first deed of trust. I want to protect your capital. Again, you never use the word, I'm going to guarantee you some. As soon as someone tells me on a deal or any venture, I'm guaranteeing I'm the first guy out of the room. <laughs> There's no guarantee in anything. It's a big red flag. But I'm going to give you, how are you going to protect my money, number one? That's what I want to know. How can we create a mutually beneficial long-term relationship? I don't want to bring you one deal. I want you to be a capital partner of mine for the next 50 years. Mm. You know, I'm not one-off. I want to build a long-term confidence, a mutually beneficial relationship. I want 
want to take the money that you're yielding 1% and make you six, seven, eight, 9%, whatever that may be. Or you also want to ask them, what's your level of expertise? Do you want to be passive or do you want to be active in the deal? Do you want to come, do you like design? Do you want to actually oversee guys? Or do you simply just want to send the capital, let me do what I do, and then send you the money at the end of the transaction? Do you want quarterly payments? Do you want monthly? So you want to just consultatively understand what somebody's looking for. And if their capital and your acquisition match up, you work with them. If they don't, you move on to the next person. Mm. That's awesome. Justin, generating money. And he talked about OPM. I've heard you describe dealing with banks. I've heard you describe hard money lending. What would you speak to when it comes to generating funding, especially early on? I raised like a couple million dollars when I first started. Um, I think the first investor I had was about two million. But he was like, hey, I'll give you capital, we'll split the profits. This is like the first investor I ever had. And it was good for me in the beginning. Like, hey, 50-50 profit sharing, and you're putting up all the money and no interest, just 50%, and I don't have to worry about anything, and the home's bought in your name. I have a contract with you, you're gonna give me 50%, you're gonna list it with me. It was fine, it worked out real well uh, for a year. And then after that, I was like, man, I made over a million dollars, why do I wanna give this guy 50% of my money? So you move on to be like, hey, I'm gonna give out a percentage, maybe a small percentage, like, hey, I'll give you 10, 20% of my profit, versus, because it was diluted, you have to build that experience. You can't just go up. There's nobody who's gonna give you money at six and 7% if it's your first deal. Mm -hmm. There's nobody's gonna do that. They're just not. But if you've done what, 10, 20. What's the realistic number in that? I think it just depends on your experience level. So like if you partner with somebody, so like for instance, I have people that come to me and say, hey Justin, will you partner with me on this deal, put your face on it and say, hey, I have the connections, I know what to do, I'll give you the money. I have people that will give me the money and then I give it to them and then I protect their money by knowing what to do with the title and the documents. I would say it depends on your confidence, right? So if you flip one house and you made a hundred grand and you're like, hey, I'm the shit and I'm gonna go raise money and you have that confidence, you might be able to get money on one deal. Um, but the reality is it takes some time. People got to see that you're legit. Mm. And I think Zach, like Zach and me have that credibility where people go, hey, I'll give the money, here you go. Um, not everybody does that. And if you're in the beginning stages, it's harder. I'm not saying it's impossible. You might get family money or a friend or somebody who knows you says, hey, I really like you. Here's 250 grand. Give me a first deed of trust. Let's do it. But I found that I'd rather borrow from a bank because I get 6%. I pay a point. I'm done. I don't have to deal with the stress of OPM. Um, I will work with some OPM, but it's people that I've known for five, 10, 15 years. And this is why I had a bad experience where I borrowed 200 grand from a lady and then all of a sudden she wanted the money back in two months. And I was like, oh my God, I gotta come up with 200 grand that I just borrowed from this lady at 7% and she wants her money now and she's threatening lawsuits and coming after me and all this stuff. And, and I'm not saying she had any case, but who wants that stress of a lawyer calling you, doing all this stuff? So I found my experience. I'm not saying, Zach, I'm not judging. I'm just saying my experience was I'd rather just deal with the bank. I'd rather deal with the hard money lender and just be done with it. That's much easier when the banks are lending. But going back yeah. to 2006 yeah. or seven or eight, and you know when all of a sudden there was fear in the market, the banks weren't lending. Correct. Then you only have two strategies: your own cash, um, private money, or you know hard money lenders or OPM. In the OPM, though, it's yeah, of course, if you've never done a deal, people say that's great. How are you going to go get the money? Yeah. Because the money follows the acquisition. If you can sell the deal and show the numbers, so forget about my experience. If I show you, here you go. Here's this deal. We're buying it for fifty thousand. Retail value is a hundred. Needs ten k. You're in a first deed of trust. If I die and something happens, and you could have mitigated the risk with the lady with the proper operating agreement up front. So the thing is this, you always want what's called statute of frauds. Get it in writing. Think about all the worst case scenarios that come into place so that, hey, that the investor can't call the money and affect the project because that's going to put a hindrance on his deal. You'd say, you're putting up this money. It's going to be good through a year. And then, hey, there's an automatic extension or, the, or you could refi it out. 
But obviously, if the investor says, hey, I want my money in a week and I'm going to sue you, you need to put clauses in there to, you know, show responsibility, duties of each person, fiduciary duties, things of that nature to mitigate a capital call like that in advance. But again, if you get a really good deal and no experience, the money will always follow because if you can sell the deal and show the protection measures for that investor, you're going to be good. Yeah, I agree. I agree with him. The only thing is I did all that. I just didn't like her blowing me a phone up every day. Got it. I got to the point where I was like, she's calling me three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times a day. Wow. At what point do you just go, this is harassment. Yeah. I don't want to deal with this person and call it a day. I'm not saying that's everybody because there's plenty of investors I've worked with that don't do that. But I had a bad experience doing that. And mm. so I just, and, and he's right. When I first, what I did was different than you. I didn't borrow money at like 8%. I just gave people percentage of the profit. No, I did the same as you. I didn't yeah. give percentages. Yeah. Hindsight's twenty twenty. I wish yeah. I would've went back and said, yeah. I'll pay you eight, nine, 10%. I would've made even more money back yeah. in the day. But I also respect the fact that I found a couple of high net worth individuals that had zillions of dollars that, you know, mm. you build that credibility and you can buy unlimited amounts of assets. Um, with those individuals, and I still value those relationships today. I don't need their money, and I'll still period, you know, periodically put them in deals because you never know when some amazing opportunity comes up. Mm -hmm. You're, you know, out of sight, out of mind, uh, top of mind. You engage them even when you don't need the money. Greed kills, right? Greed's mm -hmm. the first thing that's going to crush you in this business. I'm the least greedy guy ever. I want everyone to win, continue to make money, and I also like the synergy and the camaraderie of doing deals with people that you like. So all of a sudden, I get an opportunity to buy 200 homes tomorrow. I've gotten proof of funds before: 20, 30, 40 million dollars on deals I can't do individually. So if I find those right partnerships and value and they're still top of mind, I engage them here and there in different deals, we're ready to rock and roll. You yeah, know, I'm a I, big picture guy. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm more of a joint venture guy. So if I get like somebody who says, hey, I want to buy, you know, build an apartment company. Like right now I'm building a development. I'm working on a development to build 30 homes in Tucson. And I went to the bank. I went to Arizona Federal Credit Union. They offered me 4%, you know, interest. Um, I need to have 20% downs. I need $2 million for a $10 million investment. But our ROI, our profit should be between 18 and 20 million. So our, my attitude was like, hey, I'm willing to leave, you know, give 30% to the guy who gives me $2 million because I'll build the whole development, make 70%, and the next time I may not need them, you know? But the, I don't, the reason I don't like OPM from, I would say it's better to raise $10 million from somebody than 100 grand. It's probably easier and better to deal with people who are multimillionaires. Like, hey, here's a million bucks, here's two million bucks, not a big deal. When you're dealing, so if you're borrowing money and their guys are really well off, I would call them accredited investors. Yeah, you're gonna have less drama. But if you go to like Susie, your neighbor, or somebody that has 200 grand in their house and they lose the 200 grand, like if go, God forbid everything goes bad, they're gonna be people up your butt. If you have a problem with 200 grand from a 20 million dollar guy, he's like, okay, do another deal. Let's make some money. Let's get make that money back. Mm. It's a lot easier to rebound as a multimillionaire than it is on a person who has 120 grand. And the mentality that I've seen with people that are very limited on capital. They're more likely to freak out on 100, 200 grand than somebody with 20 million. So Zach's right. Like, if a guy's got 40 million and he gives Zach five million dollars and says, "Here you go," that guy's probably less stressful about the money because he's got 35 more than somebody who's got 250 thousand dollars is the only money they have and they give you all their money. Right. And all of a sudden, family thing happens. It goes both ways too. I mean, it's sometimes it's much easier for somebody who's not as sophisticated, not high net worth, to say, "Here's 40 thousand dollars." They're not running DNA tests. They're not having your attorney draft a 10 thousand dollar operating agreement because. Those high net worth individuals didn't get to where they are without precautionary measures, conservative, you know, mindset and things of that nature. I remember for my first multimillionaire deal with these guys, I'm like, I, I got these deals. We got to close in two weeks. Well, hold on. We need to run your DNA, your background. Let's go through the operating agreements. Literally $20,000 back and forth to create that. So the original red tape, you know, was in these hardships and headaches. 
obviously are worth it in the end when you get past you know that finish line. But you know sometimes it's much easier to get that quick 40, 50, or 100 on these quick, easy deals from people that aren't as, I don't wanna use sophistication, but are in high net worth um, the, the speed of that could be quicker. So it goes both ways, but yes, it's much easier to have a high net worth individual. You get past that red line, the red taping, and then, uh, you know, you start sprinting. It just depends on the, I think it depends on their acumen, you know, their sure. financial acumen. Cause if you got somebody who's 21 years old, made 250 grand a year, took all his money and wants to invest with you, that kid might be better than someone who's 60 years old lady that's in retirement. And she, that, and she's like, that's only 250 grand she has. So it depends on the person and the individual, in my opinion, but again, like I, I disagree and agree with you. I agree with you. It's good, but I disagree because I have seen too many times where the guy, you know, the lady or guy doesn't have a lot of money and the minutes and usually the people that, and this is what I've learned, the wealthy people rarely have problems because they have enough money to cover. Like if the house needs underground plumbing or the house needs a new roof and the house needs electrical and you got, you need 30, 40, 50 grand more from that person. The person who doesn't have any money can't afford that. So now you're out looking for more money. And this is, I've seen this with investors. I've no investors like this, that they ran out of money on the project mm-hmm. and they can, they have to go borrow the money from somebody they know 30, 40, 50 grand. Cause the harmony lender is not going to bail them out. Harmony lender is like, no, I, I'm not going to bail you out 30, 40 grand. I have to refi the loan. Da 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 da. So I've seen numerous times, because it's funny, this is the first guy that I've actually had to head to head to head on in agreement. Everybody else on the show like is like, okay, Justin, whatever. Yeah, no, for sure. He's the first guy it. that yeah, actually so here, I'm battles gonna, gonna, me. Ta- no, I like this. So I've never had that. I've never lost a penny, thank God, on any for any investment, for any investor I've ever dealt with. If I, hypothetically, if something did happen, I would personally cover it myself just for reputational purposes. But being Smart. the contingency guys and the way I've structured the deals in the past with, uh, if it's just an equity deal, I make them put up the capital for the acquisition, but to show that I've skin in the game, I'll pay for the rehab. So um, I've never had the, so I'm always planning in a contingency perspective, hey, you know, it could go over 20%, 30%. If I don't have the capital to do the deal, I'm not gonna put them in that deal or I'd over disclose up front, hey, I'm gonna need you to fund it and I'm gonna need you to fund maybe half for the construction because we're pulling permits, this budget's 100,000. So incrementally, I'll pay for it. And then upon receipts, and uh, communication, accounting, and documentation, then you could reimburse me. So therefore, I'm always gonna be made whole. I always have this contingency money on the side to mitigate that risk of running out of capital. I'm always gonna get us to the finish line. But see, Zach is educated. I'm talking about a guy who's done maybe 10 deals, and all of a sure. sudden, they, they, you know, this is real shit. Like, right. somebody's family dies, all of a sudden you need $20,000 for funeral, who pays for it? Maybe the son, the daughter, whatever, and then they don't have that money. Right. Um, they could come and finance. I just had somebody had a heart, uh, heart surgery. $100,000 bill. Yeah, $100,000 bill. So things can come up. You're lucky Absolutely. that doesn't happen to you, but this is the truth. Like things happen to people. You and me may be blessed more than others, but things happen. And so it's not that that person came in with that mentality like, oh my God, I, I don't have enough. It's that I had to pay for a surgery or I had a, something happened, right? right? It's incidentals. And that's why we have insurance, but not all insurance covers everybody equally. Mm-hmm. We all know that insurance is kind of, it depends hit on the situation. Miss. Yeah. No, it's total hit or miss. So for me, I have seen it. Not me personally. I've been lucky enough to have enough investors that say, and I have gone underwater in remodels that need more money. I have lost money on flips. I've also made a ton of money on some flips. My biggest flip last year made 280 grand. Um, this this year right now, my average flip is making a hundred grand. That's insane. So that's huge. That's my numbers. average. That's crazy. That's my average right now. Yeah, you can, yeah. I can look. I can give you like five addresses right now. I believe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't. I don't. I don't make hundred grands on my flips. My yeah. my average flip this year was a hundred grand. Wow. Per flip, but I'm also buying direct. Yeah. Um, I'm not usually buying from wholesalers. Right. Um, and if I buy from wholesalers, it's about fifty to sixty. So I'm making an extra thirty, forty if I'm buying direct. That kind of numbers make sense. 
But as far as as far as what um, Zach's saying is, I agree with you. I think that you know it's really you're really lucky to have that situation, and you're really blessed. And like you said, it's not even luck. It's sometimes it's hard work. I don't want to. I never use the word luck. Yeah. It's it's called preparedness, anticipation, contingency planning to mitigate those circumstances from happening. But at the same time, you know, there's certain people that are just blessed. Totally. And in their life, there's certain people that are just blessed. They do one song, they make a hundred million dollars. You know, there are people that are very blessed. And and in the reality is Zach is blessed in that in that situation. I feel blessed too. As far as like the business goes, I just encourage people like who's who are listening not to be scared and to borrow money, but just be aware of the risk right. that you could have, right, with a person who borrowed your money from where they could call it due. And you could have all the paperwork in the world, but that doesn't stop them from blowing up your phone. It doesn't stop them from emailing, that doesn't stop them from harassing you. And this is the truth. What money? What amount of money is worth your sanity, right? I'd rather borrow money from somebody who's like, hey, look, hey, you can pay Justin, me back in three years. Justin, ask that question again for the people. What amount of money is worth your sanity? Can you just ask that again? <laughs> yeah, like what amount of money is worth your mental peace? Thank you. Right? Because right. to I'm, me, it's to so me, important. Right? Yeah, to me, if I owe a lady 100 grand, she's stressing out, she needs that money, I'd much rather go borrow it at 12 from she's at seven, pay the extra 5%, sure. not to deal with it. But here's what I like, and this is a great point. When you're meeting and having these meetings with OPM and these these ladies or gentlemen or credited, unaccredited, whatever it may be, it's about setting the expectations in advance. You say, listen, if this is your last hundred thousand, I really don't want. I want you to have some contingency money. Here's how I operate. I'm very autonomous. If if you feel so so worried about this money, then let's not do the deal. I want you to be relaxed. I'm setting the expectation in advance. I'm happy to send you project updates, you know, once a week. But other than that, please don't bother me because I'm out doing acquisitions. I'm actually, you know, managing this deal. I don't want to be hindered by your concerns. Yeah. So if you're really worried about this money, this isn't going to be a good fit. You're almost feeling them out on a pre-date, setting expectations in advance to mitigate these calls and the sanity and all that. So if you do that in advance, I think you have a higher likelihood of success with that than just rolling the dice with some newcomer who's nervous about the hundred cheese. Yeah, it's I, almost I like agree. I'm sorry, Justin. I didn't want to cut you off, but it's no. almost like you're saying if, if you're really concerned about your investment, don't you, do you the don't deal. want yeah, you don't want me distracted, right? right? You you don't if 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 you're in if you're investing in me and my deal, but your concern is, hey, what's going on with the deal, it's probably not going to yield good results for your deal. I mean, we're in control of, of the results, but if they're concerned, obviously it's the first deal, they don't know what's going on. Hey, listen, I'm going to give you, you can set the updates. I'm going to send you the updates on Friday once a week. Here's the pictures. Here's the updated budgets. But other than that, don't bother me. It's going to hinder our ability to get this deal to the finish line. Feel free to drive by the house. Feel free to go out there. You'll see the updates. Very, You want to use their transparency. That's a big word in business. Mm -hmm. um, full disclosure. There's nothing under the table. You're going to see everything from accounting to pictures to updates. Bottom line, here's what we netted. Here's your profit. I want you to reinvest. Let's rock and roll. I, I, my my take on it is so I've hired people that work with me that do acquisitions, pick up deals, wholesale, whatever. And I actually know a guy, um, his name is Spencer, who worked with me for a little while. And he did now he's a realtor and he's out selling houses. But he gave a guy 75 grand locally in town, signed all the paperwork. And uh, the guy offered him 20%. And I said, hey, bro, that's a ridiculous interest rate 20%. Why couldn't the guy go out and buy hard money at 10 or 12? And so you got to be careful, too, if you're on the other end, if you have money you want to loan to somebody and they offer you 20%, you're like, oh, my God, he jumped on it. He got lucky. The guy didn't do any work on the property for six months, but the market went crazy mm -hmm. over the last, like, year. Mm -hmm. And so he got out, the guy got out, and he paid him off, and he was able to be okay. But what if the market didn't go up 30% in one year, and he would have been underwater? So you got to be careful with, if you're going to loan money to somebody, this is just my up two cents. Mm -hmm. If somebody offers you some crazy interest rate, why are they offering you 20%? I agree. Well, first of all, there's always a direct correlation between 
yield, and risk. The higher the yield someone's giving you, you're incurring a lot more risk. Someone's offering you 5%, they're a veteran like Justin or I, you're probably gonna be in pretty good shape. You know, first deed of trust, mitigating all these uh, you know external risks versus somebody saying, this is my first deal, I'm gonna give you 30%. <laughs> Holy shit, yeah. you've never done a deal, you don't have contractors, this is a tight deal. Clearly, it's you know, outrageous. you should be nervous. You're getting 30% for a reason because you have a high likelihood of that deal well, this imploding. Guy, what's crazy is this guy did, had 30 houses under his LC wow. and seven of them were in foreclosure. Wow. And so I looked it up because he came to me and asked me, this is like probably in March of this year. He's like, what do I do, bro? And I was like, dude, I'm going to be honest with you. I looked up his LLC. I did some research on him. I looked up his properties. I looked at everything. He started foreclosing on all these houses. And it looks like he was just buying so many thinking that the market's going to keep going up and that he could get them rehabbed and sold and made money. But he had no crews at any of these houses. Like literally like seven of them were, I think five or six were active and going pending. Six or seven were, were in foreclosure. And then he had another 15, 20. And I was like, and the guy was a big player. He, he bought from Networth Realty. Networth Realty, my buddy Ross, shout out to him. He told me about it and my buddy Noah. And they were like, yeah, he does a lot of deals. He should be okay. He got lucky. He got bought out. He got paid off about seven months late. But he got paid off, mm -hmm. right? But what I'm, my point is, is that there's the other side of the coin, is that if you are a young, you know, he, Spencer's a young guy. He had this money. Uh, he worked hard for it. And he loaned it out to this guy. And I said, hey, I wouldn't have borrowed your money for more than 6 or 7%. So why did you, you know, this guy offered 20. He's like, well, at 6, 7%, I wouldn't have done it. I, this guy offers 20%, so I did it. And at the end of the day, like, just be careful with where you give your money because in this situation, like, he's lucky he got paid back and it ended up being an okay story. But for six months, seven months, this guy was stressed out, freaking out. He has, you know, four kids, Probably a lost wife. Some, lost some years on his life. Lost some years of stress. <laughs> so just be careful. All I'm getting at is if you're an experienced guy or mentor somebody like Zach or myself, mentor with somebody that's educated and knowledgeable to help mitigate your risk. If you got a couple hundred grand and you want high yields, learn about how to do it yourself. Totally. Do your own flips. Absolutely. There's no better captain than the captain yourself. That's I want to be the captain of my domain. That's why I'm very conservative. Absolutely. Right. I got a question for you. Yeah. Are you a baseball fan? I enjoy baseball, but I'd rather play sports than watch. Right. I understand that. So <laughs> I'm going to try to use a, a kind of a, a simple analogy the way I assess the way that you look at profit margins. So knowing Justin a bit, he's more of a triple home run kind of guy. You seem like a contact hitter, singles and doubles thousand percent is that the way you would describe your strategy absolutely i've always been that way i'm very transparent when i look at deals i say if i can't make net 10 percent after carrying costs my cost of capital holding insurance utilities rehab selling fees the whole thing i'm not doing the deal of course if someone brings me an opportunity i can make a hundred grand on the deal which for me is few and far between because i'm always aiming for singles now granted i don't have the luxury and i could but i don't do it i don't need to which is going direct to seller. Obviously, you're going to get a much higher margin. That's why he's getting much larger spreads. But I'm very happy. For me to make 10% of my money conservatively with that control, it's great yield. He's talking 10% not like a yearly. He's talking every time he flips out. Right. So it could be Net. three months, two that's months. That's correct. So yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> Even if it went for a year and made 10%, I certainly wouldn't be disappointed. It's not the best, but it's still so that's a solid single to me. So that's a great point. In this market, you can turn that dollar, which would be a 40% annualized yeah. yield, assuming re redeploying that same capital. You sell it, you immediately roll. It's like the real life game. This, this game is it's funny. It's like a real life game of Monopoly, right? I want to own the stuff and people are passing this. We get that passive income. Mm -hmm. That's why I like the rental business because I'm not worried about the next flip. I'm worried about you know making sure my tenants are paying 
you know, uh, stabilizing these assets, getting that mailbox money, et cetera. You're only as good as your last deal as a flipper. You're only as good as your last deal as an agent. That's why passive income and redeploying that capital that you're making to make that money work for you versus you working for your money. Mm. Yeah, same thing with syndication. Like Seinfeld's a billion, almost a billionaire now because he syndicated his series. You know, he did it for what ten years, twelve years, and now all of a sudden he's he's making and all the rights. that's where all his money is. Yeah, right. so he keeps making his money over and over again. The same mentality as rental properties, right? He's going to keep getting that cash flow and appreciation, and you get the benefit of you have an asset, right? Mm. You get the depreciation. You can write it off. You can write off the repairs. You can write off anything. So there's a lot of benefits to owning rentals too. I own a bunch of rentals too. I think right now I have twenty rentals and two apartment complexes, mm-hmm. and I love it. I mean, it's good income. Um, but you do have the negatives where new AC, new this. I just had to put duct work in one of my units because the ducts weren't working. The guy's like, I'm so hot. And over the summer, I need new duct work. But then you get accelerated appreciation Correct. on that. So it's, yeah, it's give and take. Right. So my point is like, it, but what I'm getting at is a lot of people sell you the pusses. I want on the show everybody to know like, hey, there's risk. You might have to pay, you know, some repairs. You might have to buy a new water heater. You might have a, um, a new AC. You might have to go in, in there and uh, fix some stuff. So. I always say, and this is just my my opinion, is it's always good to hope for the best, like you know, be winner, but also know like, hey, worst case scenario, I'm still making money. You know, if this apartment complex makes one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year residual, and you got to spend thirty grand on repairs every year, you still make ninety grand. It's still good income. It's not a bad income residually. Okay. But I always try to tell people like, it's not always perfect, and like a lot of people sell this fantasy land, like, oh, all this says it's perfect. And it's not always perfect. Nothing's perfect. No. Nothing's. Yeah. We're not perfect. Deals are never perfect. <laughs> yeah. But you yeah. also got to take emotion out of it. It's just like a stock, right? If you sit there every day watching the stock during the whole day, you could drive yourself crazy. If you're a day trader watching it, you know, uh, I take the Warren Buffett mentality. You sit. That's why stock prices, Berkshire Hathaway are super expensive because people don't want to be day trading a couple hundred thousand dollar stock per day. It mitigates people coming in and out of those deals. The same thing with this. You're going to buy it. It's a long-term asset. And I don't get emotional. It's like, oh, Zach, I, you know, I've had calls where I have four or five ACs I need to replace a day. It cost me twenty, twenty-five thousand. You'd think I'd walk around with my head between my legs. I really don't care because I'm enhancing what I currently own. It's okay. One, I get the accelerated appreciation, and two, I'm creating value to something that I'm going to own long term. Yeah, mm-hmm. I see that, see that as a benefit. Plus, my tenants' utility bills are going to go down. They're going to be appreciative. And guess what? When I raise the rent next year by a hundred or two hundred dollars, my yield. When you look at that incremental investment of an AC of five grand, you get another hundred dollars per month next year, bringing in 1200. That's effectively 20% ROI based on that incremental enhancement to the unit. So you can take down those micro improvements and look and see overall, what's the yield on it? Not a, it's a great day at the office. Great. I'll put on a new unit. I'm increasing your rent. I mean, there's not, of course, you could see that direct correlation. You don't say that to the tenant. Hey, put on an AC, your rent's going up. First of all, it's illegal. You need to give notice. But in your mind, mentally, you're like, it's okay. I'm going to recoup it. Okay. Plus I've created value for that asset. It's uh. He, he's right. The only thing is, like, if you're what I'm getting at is not everybody's in your level, Zach. Not everybody's at my level where, the, like, $25,000 to you is like a pot to piss in. It's not a big deal. But to somebody who just bought their first property of and they get hit with a $25,000 bill, right. they're freaking out. So it's, it's good to know that if you're going to buy assets, you've got to keep rental reserves. Like, I keep a rental account with a couple hundred grand in there because if something happens, I can afford to pay for that repair. Because there's a lot of landlords out there, and you know, you can agree, that are slumlords. They Absolutely. don't fix anything. Right. I mean, I Damn. bought properties, but they don't fix anything. I literally had a guy, I had a lady with rats in her unit when I bought it. Mm-hmm. I go, why is there rats in here? She goes, well, the landlord just left the hole open, and the rats just come in and eat. And I'm like, and I bought this property for 100 grand in Tucson, Damn. Right. fourplex for 100 grand, 
But I ended up, I had to put 100 into it. Right. And now my tenants, they were paying $300 a month. Now they're paying $700 a month for a 1-1 in Tucson. But they have a brand new AC. Their place is completely new. New windows, new cabinets, new granite. Their like, standard of living. They love it. Their standard yeah, of living went absolutely. way up for 350 bucks. Yeah. And I told them, I'm like, if you can find something better, you can leave. No big deal. No no skin off the back. I didn't even take them as a security deposit. They're all elderly. They all wanted to stay. And that's it. And they, they're all paying it. Now, they all bitched and moaned for a little bit. They whined and complained, oh, $350 more. And I'm like, well, I dumped 25 k in each unit. Right. Well, how do I recoup my money? I got to raise your rent, 350 bucks. You Before, you weren't even... You didn't and, even have a place to live. In. And think about that incremental yield, 25K, 355. It's exactly 20% ROI based yeah. on that improvement yeah, on making, an annualized basis. Yeah, I'm making $2,800 a month right now. I pay the water bill and I bought the property for, I mean, knew it for 200 grand. Great. It's wow. not bad money in Tucson. So we're coming up on time, about our last 10 minutes or whatever. I want to throw some questions at both of you guys, just um, just kind of a rapid fire here. I got to say, this is the first guy that I've actually had a battle. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, everyone's like, got great. their Not in a bad way, not in a bad way. Not in a bad way, but it's, awesome. it's like, it's it's good to get, you know how they say your your five people, the five close people to you should stimulate you and grow you mentally? This is the first guy that's actually growing me mentally. No, no, no hate on anybody else. No, that's it's okay. Not a show. Yeah. But Zach's been like, he's hitting me with the same... You know what I mean? Right. I, I honestly feel like I have a e- even match like in the mental game. Well, here's what I, I find interesting about you guys' conversation. You guys are both successful alpha type personalities, right? Yeah. Your resume speaks for itself. Justin, I've seen your QuickBooks. Very impressive. <laughs> I've done research on you. Very impressive. So when you get two people of that energy in a room and they have a conversation respectfully, right? You guys, you're, you're, you're a hardliner on your position based on your experience. You have your experience. And I think what the beauty of a podcast like this, right? Elite gangsters, the beauty of a podcast like this really is to allow people to see how people who win disagree with each other, how people who win negotiate with each other. The things that you talk about, the, the, the details in which you guys will go back and forth on for the average layman person, I'm like, this is fascinating. This is like watching two kung fu masters in the park just go at it. You know what I mean? Like the old kung fu Shaw Brothers movie where the the master shows up in the other master's gym. And he's like, all right, kick all the students out. And, you know, they battle and the students are peeking in the hole. Like, I I like stuff like that because I want to see black belts, high level black belts in their field compete and exchange ideas and, and really get tips. I truly believe You'll walk away from this this podcast with information he gave you that changed your perspective. And I know Justin's open. He does the same thing. We've had conversations where he'll think and be like, oh, okay, that's interesting, right? Mm-hmm. So I do believe that this is a net positive to see people who are in a successful uh, business practice exchange different ideas and maybe clash a little bit about the, the, the details of that those ideas. So I do appreciate you guys both for being as open as, as you guys are. Um, a couple of quick questions, uh, and, and obviously we're going to rapid fire this. Your mentor. Now, I know you said your grandfather, but who would you actually say non-family would be a mentor of yours? You know, it's interesting. I've never been to any real estate seminars. I've spoken at some, you know, in, you know, most recent last couple of years, but I've never been to any sort of mentorship. I wish, you know, that that was out there when I first started my career. There wasn't anyone that uh, enabled me to do that. Um, I would say that my mentor would be my father, you know, as an entrepreneur and watching him and taking calculated risks and you know, sending me the Wall Street Journal at, uh, you know, camps and really just inspiring me to teach me financial freedom and autonomy and independence, um, not specifically in real estate, but just in the mental stimulation and the socialization aspect. So uh, I would say that I credit him for socializing me in that in that way um, so I could chase my dreams and do what I'm doing today. Absolutely. Shout out to your father, Justin, your mentor. I have a ton. I've been, I've been blessed. I'm like, Zach, obviously my dad was a big influence in my life, but... Uh, 
you know, I would feel like, so Dan, the guy that my first investor I worked with, who was worth about $100 million, he was actually like a really strategic mentor to me because he was calm, really collected. He was very big on being a man of few words. He didn't talk a lot. I was more of a talker. Um, he was very good to me. Like he honored his word. He took care of me. I felt really comfortable with him. I never had to worry if a home was in his name, he's going to pay me my 50% or pay me my, my split. Um, I felt like he was a great mentor for me. I also worked with Jeff Fagan. I don't know if you guys know Jeff Fagan. He, I also had him. He kind of came in and worked with me and taught me the, the compounding interest game. Um, I had several mentors that I work with that um, Harvecker, he's another Jewish guy. You could look him up, Millionaire Mind. Um, I worked with Harvecker and Jesse Ecker and worked in the Millionaire Mind and did seminars for them. Um, they were great mentors for me and they're great guys. Shout out to them. And I would just say like, you know, I would really, really say that like a lot of people that I've met over the years have influenced me. Um, I would say that I've, you know, I found knowledge from even the drywall guy, the paint guy. Um, you know, they've given me advice, like how do you do your remodels cheaper, how to do them less money. So I feel like at the end of the day, I feel like a community actually really raised me to be a better, um, game player. And I feel like having the community in my life that all these different people really shaped me, even my, my fiance, even my kids, like they shape me and they make me better. And I feel like having people in your life that are all in your life for, for that reason to like really mold you to be the best man you can be person you can be has really affected me. So I feel like really lucky to have a lot of people in my life that have actually really been there for me. You know what I mean? I I love what you just said a thousand percent. I think it's important to not be um, narrow-minded, especially in stages of the game. I always say I'm always a student of the game as well. I learn from my students. I'm always out there with an open mind. I listen first, which is important. Your other high net worth individual says he's a man of viewers because he's constantly listening and absorbing and processing. And when you talk about your, and I believe with you in the karma and people, hey, there was a reason I'm charging the Tesla the other day and there's Justin or, you know, people come to your life for a reason. That story is hilarious, by the way. Oh, give me a piece of pizza. Yeah, it was like, yo, you hungry? Yeah, you look hungry. He's like, I'm going to work out. Let's go. He's the first guy. Like, it's definitely, I feel like that's a Jewish trade too. Like, feed you, feed you. You need something, you need some water, you look dehydrated, you know, you got to take care of your. It was, it was uh it was nice i don't i've not really experienced that too much i mean yeah people bought me lunch and said hey but just to be in a tesla bit hey, what's a pizza like it was cool it was different so let me no, ask but you real, but real fast this is okay, really yeah, important ahead. because when you talk about the drywallers and giving them that that autonomy and the ability to succeed i i agree a thousand percent on that so when i walk into a remodel yeah i know fundamentals of construction of course but i can't do the work i respect the guys that do the work they know far more than i do so when i walk in a home this is the question i always give to them which is guys if this is your money and your investment what do you do to the home? How do you maximize this? How do you see the floor plan? How do you see you know this or that? What would you do? That's the first. Before I tell them what I want to do, I want to stop, listen, give them the ability and the autonomy to make strategic decisions because nine times out of 10, they're probably going to tell me better than what I would have done. So when you have the right people and you enable them and give them that ability to succeed, you're going to go to the moon. Great leadership advice. Great leadership advice. How would you define success? I would define success not by, you know, your bank account, by being happy, by um, being inspired, by waking up every day um, and doing what you want to do and and being able to impact uh, the people around you um, and leaving a legacy um, of change and uh, change the trajectory of of people that you can impact. You know, so I'm about impact, not influence. So even in my mentorships and things like that, I don't want thousands of people in there. Mm. I want to have these great relationships to have the highest impact, whether it's one person or 100 people. Um, just to change the lives and as uh, best that I can, you know, by being on this earth. That's an awesome answer. Definition of success for you? I would say for for me, the definition of success is what you're. If you're happy, 
you know, because ultimately happiness creates more success. Um, people are drawn to happy people. Let's be honest. Like in life, if you're if you meet Tony Robbins, you're like, this guy's happy. You know, he lives full, his life fully. You know, you walk in the room and you feel him. I think that happiness is what attracts everything. And I think a positive mindset is usually because you're happy. You know, if you're a negative person, you have a negative mindset. So I think the true true success is happiness because if you're happy with what you do and you love what you do, everything comes. Whether you're a rapper, a movie star, an actor, a producer, a mo- you know, real estate investor, loan officer, insurance guy, whatever you do, if you're happy, people feel it. And they want to be and they want to be around you. They mm-hmm. want to do business with you. It's contagious. Absolutely. Last question. And- what are some of the intangibles that you think that a person should work on? I mean, certain things that I think that you can learn from people, the actual technical side of like doing business in real estate. But what are some intangible characteristics for a person you think they should have in this particular industry, whether it's resilience or, you know, whatever it is? We just touched on it briefly, and I talked about this last night, uh, which is positive energy, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, I set the tone for the day every morning at the gym. And, and one thing, too, that's really important is you can make millions of dollars, trillions of dollars. That's great. But one thing is you can't sacrifice, which is your health. Um, and I'm a huge advocate for it. So you can find these guys have made the millions and all of a sudden they get sick because they're overworked and they're stressed. And what's the first thing they'd give up? All the money they made. Absolutely. So the pillar of success to me is staying healthy, healthy mind, healthy body. Um, and bringing positive energy and being the best version of yourself because that's what people pick up on. So bring your A-game. You know, it's like before here, I worked out, ate a healthy lunch. I always want to come into any situation bringing the best version of myself possible so I can help elevate myself, help elevate everyone else in the room. And then you pick up and you draw on that energy. It's contagious. Mm. I mean, it's 100% true. I went to the gym this morning too and I I, I worked out for two hours. In fact, I was in there for like an hour, 15 minutes where I met you in the sauna. Your Ooh. biceps bigger than my quads. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. that's pretty I similar. Mean, like, He's always talking about, yo, you going to come bench with me, come lift with me? But Justin, <laughs> look at me, bro. I'm you in the sauna like all the time. I'm okay. Like I'm beast, okay. Dude. But I'm not, you know, I'm not lifting heavy like Justin. It's okay. I've been running at night too and hitting the weights because I noticed like I've actually been able to run more. I've lost 60 pounds. So I, was exa- I actually did exactly what you said. Like I was working so much and just getting crazy with it and being all this weight and, uh, I put out when COVID hit, I was like, I don't want to get COVID. Never got COVID. Lost 65 pounds in a matter of uh, six months. Wow. And so you. now I'm about 260 and my ideal weight, the trainer told me is 235. So I got 25 more pounds to go. You're way slimmer than when I first met. Bro, my waist yeah. is a 36 though. I was a 42. That's crazy. So I did exactly what you said. Like I just started going to the gym. Zach's right. Like going to the gym, I tell all my guys, I say, look, me two hours in the gym. You're going to love me out when I get out. Before I go to the gym, totally. don't, don't, don't talk don't to talk me. To and me. going back to what we talked about before <laughs> yeah. of like getting a call, and not, forget about five ACs in a day, but I recognize that you're a much better, more calm person. It does, Maybe it's you know the gym. Maybe it's meditation. Maybe it's cold plunging. Whatever works for you, reading, Beethoven, whatever works for you. But become the best. So the intangible is become the best version of yourself that enables you to uh, enhance everyone else's lives around you. So that's the same thing. If I get the call on that AC and I hadn't worked out, for example, I'm fucking, oh, man, you know, this is horrible. But you work out, you're like, you deflect the negativity and embrace yep. the positivity. Mm, so think right. about that. It's things are negative. If you harbor on it and you embrace it and you absorb it, um, you know, it's going to slow you down. But if you can deflect it and uh, keep moving forward, it's like, you know, you're a warrior. You just move forward, keep, keep progressing, and good things are going to happen. Yeah, he's he's right 100% because I just had that conversation with a few people I work with. I said, hey, if you focus on the negative, like, oh, my God, this remodel just went up 10 grand because I have to re- we just had to replumb the whole underground at Wedgwood, one of our houses in Mesa. We had to redo the whole underground plumbing all the way from the house to the street to the pool, everything, $10,000. And that was a good deal with material. Um, we had a couple guys come over, $20,000, $30,000 they quoted us. 
But um, we got it done. And uh, shout out to my boy Marco. He listens to this. My boy Marco's on my team. And actually, he's uh, the cousin of the Wholesale Sharks. Oh, okay. So one of my contractors, he's the whole Ramon he, and Rodrigo. Yeah, Ramon and Rodrigo. Yeah, Ramon is uh, Marco's his cousin. Got it. So they work for me, his dad. I've been working with these guys for four years. And these are guys I pay before I pay myself. Yep. And one of the things I learned is I like, one thing I, I like to say, this, throw this in is, I pay people before I pay myself. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing I, I noticed is that, um, yeah, I might not make a ton of money that month. Maybe I got my money rolling, it's investing. And, um, but I've always noticed it comes back to you. The, the more you take care of your people on your team that take care of you, it's like a win-win. It's, a, it's just, it's when you're in there, when you're for them, they're for you. Yeah. And if they see that you're willing to cut your income, like you're not going to pay yourself, you're not going to go buy a brand new car, you're not going to go build, you know, more to multi-million house and not care about them. I feel like that's one thing I've learned from people that I've seen fail in business. They, they build themselves up. They take care of themselves before they take care of their team. Yeah. I feel like you take care of your team. Yes, you take care of your health first. Cause I got to be good, healthy, yeah. but I'm going to pay my team first and then pay myself last because I want my team to grow and build it. I don't want to just focus on myself. Right. And I feel like that mentality to take care of yourself first health wise, but you pay everybody else. There's a way of, it just comes back to you. Yeah. And so, and sometimes tenfold, you know, you make all this more money and then they, they send you a deal. They prefer you or their family friend. And when you take care of your team, they're the ones bringing you deals too. My, my team brings that. me deals. Yeah. I was just yeah. going to say that with that good energy, I'm sure they're like, Hey, let's make sure we keep, you know, the boss man, you know, connected that way we keep getting work and it's just a symbiotic relationship. Right. Yeah. And even if they don't bring in deals, they take care of your deals. Mm-hmm. You know, even if they're not For the sure. ones that are bringing in deals, but you actually like, they, they love you. Cause I mean, literally that's what my team, they tell me, they're like, we love you, bro. We got right. your back. And so when I have that kind of respect and that love, I give it back to them. And you know, my lady, she knows that, you know, Giselle, uh, my lady, she's like, she sees it. Cause she's, she helps me. She does like my property management mm-hmm. stuff like that. And she sees the the guys, like they tell her like, we love Justin. Mm-hmm. He's always got our back. Mm-hmm. He doesn't yell at us and scream. He's just like, Hey, let's get this done. Let's get you another property. And uh, I just, like I told you, Oscar was on the show. I hired him. Yeah. And we just showed, we went to that house in Avondale together today, but we didn't get it. But we got another house in Mesa, so that was pretty good. Right. But um, it's 100%. Zach is right. Like, take care of yourself so you can take care of your people. You got to fill your cup first so that, you know, if you're working on empty, you can't serve anyone else. So Amen. fill your cup and go. But additionally, in your intangible question, another thing that I think is super, super important that a lot of people neglect is they just assume when you're paying your guys, hey, you're a great boss. Not true. You pay them, but you also got to give them words of affirmation and show appreciation. So many people forget um, to, again, fill their cup. You know, your workers well with not just capital and obviously paying them, that's your responsibility, but showing appreciation and gratification for their work. That goes such a long way. So many people just feel undervalued. Mm. And every week, every Friday, without my guys know, Friday's payday. I'm out on every job site. Personally, I don't delegate that. So I can meet with them, talk to them, go over maybe some fixes or whatever needs to be done. You get paid and I always, you know. Um, elevate them to the best of my ability authentically. I don't just say, hey, you did a great job if there's an issue. <laughs> right. But I say, hey, man, your decision over here, Autonomous, this is unbel- I'm so blessed to have you. You're such a great, intelligent individual. People have neglected that so many times. I've had other people that have come to work for me and said, I've never, no one's ever given me a compliment. They paid me. They never said I did a great job. I was going to say, that's more of an indictment on society. I, really I, you is. know, listen, I, I'm not saying that people are owed compliments or owed positive Nobody's words of affirmation. No, absolutely not. Right. So I don't want to infantilize our society in that way. But I do feel like showing a proper level, articulating the proper level of appreciation yeah. for someone's hard work, in my opinion, is goes further than paying them. I agree. Because it's, it's psychological. Mm-hmm. It, it's people will start to rely on that positive affirmation as a part of the payment system. 
And I think they will seek, they will get their validation through that. And validation brings worth. You go home to your family. You're much nicer of a person. You start to give back a little bit more. I think that that is the real thing that you And you it increases there. productivity. I've got one right. of my workers too. Right. He was the manager for this uh, Motel 6. One of my guys, Daniel. He's like his boss was always hard on him. He's the nicest, greatest guy ever. He's a pastor. He's honest as the day is long. He's a go-getter. I could rely, put my life on the line for this guy. He would do the same for me. And he, I always said, Zach, you know, I, I love you like a brother. He asked me to be a compadre, you know, with his daughter's quinceanera. I want you to be a compadre. You know, I got to buy the dress. I guess, uh, you know, it makes me the compadre. No, but the point is, uh, you know, he's just blessed. And it, it's really elevated him and increases his productivity and his autonomy in the organization by just uh, instilling and appreciating, you know, how much I appreciate him telling me he does such a wonderful job. Literally, the guy could cry every time. I, he's, he's a mm -hmm. little sensitive That's every okay. time I say, which I love. No, no worries. No worries. So how can people find you? Are you Do you accept just deals from people if they just wanted to reach out to you and, and just say, hey, I got a deal like for you? Like 7-Eleven, baby. Deals are always coming. <laughs> Listen, this is Justin's <laughs> podcast. You send the deals to Justin. Absolutely. You always got to remember, no, literally, a lot of people sometimes forget there's always a pecking order, right? Like you could be at lunch with somebody and people mm. say, it's so funny. Oh, I'm introducing you to so-and-so. And then it's like, oh, I'll just send you the deals direct. I always remember how I met somebody and I always say, hey, listen, I met you through Justin. You send it to Justin. If he doesn't want her, he's, he's got an overabundance of deals and he wants to then sell it to me. Great. So if you have a deal, please call Justin first. Absolutely. If he can't absorb it, it's not something he's interested in, then of course, you know, reach out to me. My Instagram is ZAK Ventures. Um, I'm known as the trash to cash guy, kind of my deal. I turn trash to cash um, or, you know, my cell phone. But they can reach out on the uh, Instagram on there and, you know, we'll go from there. Zachary Keeps. Justin, final words. Um, I would say that this is probably a good and strong podcast from Zach to give me, uh, you know, a different side of his mindset, the way he thinks, the way he views things. I definitely appreciate that, Zach. We appreciate you coming Absolutely. to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate Absolutely. it. Um, a treat. You definitely got some uh, words of wisdom, some knowledge that uh, you dropped on me and Graydon today. We appreciate it. And, um, yeah, no, I think, um, I think the message of this podcast is treat people well and take care of your responsibilities and keep your word. And, um and don't tell people you're going to do something you're not. And uh, just be a person that keeps, I mean, I think that's the number one, the hardest thing that people realize now is your word is everything. You know, yeah. you can have a contract, you can have a contract, but it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that uh, someone can't back out on it mm -hmm. or try to screw you or go to court and all that. So I think that it's really good to be a man and, or a woman of your word. And I think it's very important that he kind of, that he has that mentality because that's what we need. Um, the young kids out there that are listening to this, like same thing, keep your word, keep what you say, do what you say. If you can't do something, say you can't do it. You know, don't, or if you don't can't do it. it, communicate. Don't just lack, you know, there's so many just laps of communication. People want to know if it's not going to get done, why? Just call. And totally then, agree. then, you know, you can work everything out through proper communication, trust, respect, and transparency. That's what we want. So shout out to yeah. people that are people that are word. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in to the Justin Broker podcast. We're renaming that to the, the what, what are we calling elite, it? Elite, elite, elite gangsters. gangsters. Yeah, we're renaming that to the Elite Gangsters. You guys got to get some gear in here. I'm seeing some Elite Gangster lights. Yeah, you know, yeah, great. And you got to step it up over uh, here, bro. Hey, I'm, hey I, to, I told you, I'm get some lights. We are some No, this is great. This is great. It's not about the location. It's about the content. Absolutely. Amen. Um, I'm your co-host, Great Square, for Justin Fromstein and the Justin Broker podcast. If you guys have any questions that you guys want to email, the Justin Broker podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget get to leave a review on Spotify or Apple or wherever you listen. Um, we're going to have a modified schedule coming up for the holidays. So uh, stay tuned for that. We will probably announce that on the next show as far as the details about that, because Justin's a busy man. 
He's got a lot of stuff coming up. He'll probably go into that next podcast because it's a lot of stuff. So, Zach, thank you so much for coming. Braden. If you guys want to reach out to Zach, he's left his information. And, Justin, always a pleasure. Yeah, thank you, Graydon. All right, thank guys. You, see you, Thanks, see guys. you next week. Right. Peace, Bye. peace.